Praise the Lord. Okay, so before you open your Bibles, well, actually, the words, the scriptures will be on the wall. Um, I do want to mention that I think it was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, I did announcements and I mentioned a verse, Second uh, Corinthians uh, 5.17. And it says that, you know, when um, that we become new uh, creation, we become new creatures. And I mentioned how it changes us and how we experience change. And when we experience change, it doesn't stop there. It, it, hap- it overflows and it goes on to our relationships with our spouses, our children, our friends, our employers, and, and so on. And so I want to kind of look at this change and how it does affect a person, how it affects someone. And as we go and look at this change, of course, that's, we're speaking of becoming a, a believer, a Christian. Uh, let me just go through a, a few scriptures just to um, set the stage for the person that we're going to look at in scripture today. In John 3, 3, it speaks of, well, Jesus answered, it says that Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the, uh, it, also in um, Matthew 4, 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're talking about being born again, and that has to do with repentance, uh, a change, a change. That word is metanoeo, and it's, uh, it means to change direction, to change your mind uh, or your purpose. And the context here is of sin, so that we change away from sin and we become Christians, we become believers, we are changed internally. The Lord, the Spirit of God uh, indwells in us and indwells us and we become changed. That verse, Matthew 4.17, in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. From then, then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So we're talking about this change today because it's important that we, we do truly change and the effects that it can have on those around us. So let's... Follow with me, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17. That's the verse that I shared with you that one morning, Sunday morning. And it reads this way in the English Standard Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Behold, that word means, it, it kind of the phrase means, like, check this out. Check it out. The new has come. In the New Living Translation, this same verse 517, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So we're sitting in this room, and I believe everyone here, as far as I I know, uh, has experienced this. The new life began at some point. That word new is kainos. And it means, of course, it's talking of an actual event that takes place when we become believers. When we become new, there's a new beginning. But that word kainos, it's speaking of a newness, a, a, like a freshness, a new as in quality. In other words, it's the same old you, but new. You've been renewed. You've been changed. So, in fact, I didn't add this verse, but there's a, in John chapter 9, there's a, a person, a man who's born blind, and Jesus heals him. But uh, this guy, when he's healed, he shows himself to the people. And the people say, is that the guy, the same guy? Is that the guy who, was, who used to beg that was blind? 
And they say something like, yeah, it looks like him. And uh, then he says, yes, it's me. It, it, it's me. I'm the guy. And so that kind of gives us a picture uh, for us that when we became believers, we're the same person. But there's a change. There's something different. And sometimes people can't recognize you. You know, I think back to the time way back, my first year, I think, when we were saved. I don't know if you were even saved a year yet. And Carol and I were living in Texas, and we came back, and there was a party or, you know, gathering at my mom's house. And one of my old buddies from the neighborhood was there, and he was always one best friend, grew up with him, and my best buddy. And uh, he was there, and uh, I was, uh, we were going to go home, and I was taking him home. I mentioned this before. I drive around the corner to where everyone would hang out. And as I drop them off, all the guys are hanging out, conducting business and just drinking or whatever they're doing. And, uh, and I open the door and I let them out and they say, hey, Steve, what's up? You know, and I, hey, what's going on, guys? And with that greeting, immediately it was like, hey, um, is it true? You don't drink anymore? That's what they, that's what stood out. It's still me, but I was different. There was something that changed. And it stood out to them. And that is what happens with us, is it's important that we understand we are the same person, but there's a newness. We walk in that newness. But we don't, in that newness, we don't necessarily demean anyone or belittle anyone. Rather, our hearts should have compassion for them and desire for them to have the same thing that we've experienced. So this newness, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This word here, present, it means to make yourself available. And the person we're going to look at here tonight made himself available. And it has to do, tonight we're looking at the journey of a changed heart and how that took place. And many of us have all our stories and how we got there. What convicted us? What started to change? What drew us to the Lord? He drew us, but how we responded and when. So this word peristemi means to make yourself available. And of course, when we get to Romans chapter 12, if you read all of Romans 1, 2, and all the way up to 12, we see the, the, the wonderful things that he's provided for us, the things that he's done for us, the things that he will do for us. And so when we get to Romans 12, it's saying that to present your body as a living sac holy sacrifice. To present, it, it, it has to do with, um, it's, it's like the natural thing to do. Well, look at verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So look at these words, and, we, and then we'll move on to our text of being transformed. Transform, which is metamorphuo. It means to be changed, an internal change. So again, it's not that we change our clothes necessarily, although maybe you do when you get saved, depending on how you were dressing. But you, there's an internal change that takes place. This word renewing, anakinosis, it means a renovation, a complete change for the better. How many of you have renovated something in your house? Right? It, it's still the same kitchen, right? But you renovate it. So now it's more productive, it's more, it's more operational, it's, a, it's more pleasant, it's a joy to be in that kitchen because you renovated it. So when we become renovated, we're changed for the better. There's a change that, 
that causes people to, well, draw them to Christ, if you will. So this present, to present your, your bodies to Christ, it's a continuous an action that takes place here. It's a continual thing of the mind. And so that is the kind of change that we all need. That's the kind of change that we're talking about tonight. And so my question tonight, before we jump into our text, is who can change? Who is who is cha- who can change? I mean, think about the worst person that you can think of right now. The most, if you will, lost person in this world. Someone that is deep, deep into sin. Deep to people that may be deep into sin, a life of sin. And the question is, will, can they be saved? I mean, they are outright rejecting God, specifically rejecting God. Will they? Can they? And, and they can, you know? Um, and so the thing is, is we can easily think about the person the worst person in the world and whether or not they can be saved. But just for the sake of, uh, of applying this to ourselves, think of yourself at the worst point of your life and what people were probably thinking about you. Will Steve ever get saved? Can I, yeah, can I picture um, this person saved? Will my son ever get saved? Will my brother, my sister? Because they, you, know, you may have been in some pretty bad situations. So we think of ourselves, and yes, think of how bad and maybe how, how it was for yourself, and now you're following the Lord. A, a minute ago or a while ago, you were praising the Lord, thanking him probably in your heart for what he has done and how he changed us. But we presented ourselves to, uh, to him. We made ourselves available for that change. So people can be changed. If there's someone that you're thinking about or praying about and concerned about, Don't doubt the Lord, what he can do. Pray for that person that they would turn and go to God. Jesus said in John 6.37, the latter part of that verse says, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I will not never cast out. That word cast is ekbalo. And it means to drive away or to reject, to banish, send away to just outright reject. It's a very strong uh, adjective that is used here, that he will not do that. He will receive them to himself for the person that turns to him. You know, um, now you can turn to Luke chapter 19. And as you get there, I'm going to mention another thing. Remember Jeffrey Dahmer. I think, uh, um, I think, um, Chad recently did something on Jeffrey Dahmer because of the Netflix thing, and it's out. I remember years ago, years back, when um, I think, uh, when, well, when he was killed in prison, and I was, Carol and I were driving home from work, and we were listening to Christian radio, and uh, the guy, the host was talking, taking calls about Jeffrey Dahmer, and it was, it was really sad, heartbreaking, because we know what Christ can do. We know what the Lord can do. But it seemed like 80, maybe 90% of the people calling were rejecting the fact that he could be saved. That it, whether it was genuine or not, you know, we don't know how, whether it's genuine or not, but if he was making a profession of faith, God can save him. And so it was really heartbreaking to hear how people were just so hardened that because of this sin and how bad it was, uh, whether God could save him, whether the Lord would save him, and... and uh, that is, brings us to the person that we're looking at today, and that's Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 1. And this is a man who has changed. This is a man who people would probably look at and think there's no way he can be saved or be received by God. 
and in the state that he was living, he wouldn't. So let's take a look at this guy and let's watch and see how change took place. We will be able to relate to it because we experienced that change. And as you look at uh, this guy, consider those that you're praying for. Maybe consider yourself in areas that you need to change as we revisit the process of Zacchaeus. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. He entered Jericho, Jesus, and he entered Jericho and was passing through. That's pretty key right there. He's passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was rich because he was a tax collector. Because the tax collector of these days, they were, well, there were several things. They were social and religious outcasts. They robbed their own people. They're employed by Rome and they're to collect taxes. And as long as they collected taxes that Rome wanted, anything excess they could keep. So they took advantage of that out of greed and they, they wronged their own people. The, the tax collector was, was despised. We see that throughout scripture. Beyond that, being a tax collector, it says here that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he was a high-ranking tax collector. He's like maybe the manager overseeing a region or whatever it was. But so here we have Jesus entering Jericho, and he's entering a wealthy part of Jericho. I believe it's the northern part. And so he's leaving areas of, of some, from the Samaritans. He's going into a wealthy area where the tax collectors would live and people, it was like a, the modern day Las Vegas, I guess. And so here we have Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, and he's rich. He's probably much more rich than the, uh, richer than the uh, average tax collector because he's a chief tax collector. So this guy, he's a social and religious outcast. People despised them, him, them, the, the tax collectors. In fact, they were considered to be unclean. So they could, you could see that they were kept out of the synagogue. They weren't received. They weren't accepted. So we're talking about a guy who's rich, has, let's say, everything he might want, but probably very lonely, probably very empty, like perhaps maybe the way we were when we were deep in sin, whatever that sin was, whatever we, we thought we had. And we know from experience how empty that person is. We know the, uh, the, the happiness that they want to have and they don't and they can't obtain on their own or with riches. So this guy is a chief tax collector and his name, ironically, uh, has, it means pure. It means innocent. And the, the beautiful thing of this entire story is that he can be, anyone can be, pure, cleansed by the blood, innocent before God. But it requires that surrender. So imagine it this way, you know, Zacchaeus is... Um, let's say a, a car mechanic, you know, you should be able to trust a car mechanic, but only to find out that he's ripping you off. And, and you know what, you, you, someone that should be trusted, someone that you would think you can trust, and only to turn around, because here he's Jewish, ripping off the Jews, his own people. So Zacchaeus, he hears about Jesus. We see that he's hearing about Jesus, um, like many people in this area, because there, people are wanting to see him. He's coming through, and there's a crowd, and he wants to see him. So we see something taking place already with a change with Zacchaeus. He's either he's curious. He's either curious because he wants to see Jesus, um, or he's skeptical because 
religious leaders and people were very skeptical of Jesus whenever he would come around into their town. And whatever the case is, he wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus is, remember this, he's passing through. So what is it that caught uh, Zacchaeus's attention? There could have been many things. Because if you, if you look in your Bibles and you just back up and you look at some of the things that were going on in, let's say, Luke 18. In Luke 18, you'll find that Jesus is showing compassion to children. He's, he's blessing the children. We see in, in the middle of Luke 18, he's dealing with the young rich ruler. And here he's dealing with someone who is rich. And Zacchaeus is rich. He happens to say some things about the rich, Jesus does, in Luke uh, 18, verses 24 and 25. He heals a blind man. And then Jesus gives that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Did Zacchaeus hear this? Could he, did he relate to it? Was he lonely and thinking, wow, this, this parable of the tax collector, I'm a chief tax collector, maybe I'm too far gone as a chief tax collector. Whatever it was, something caught Zacchaeus' attention. There were many things that catch his attention. Miracles, people being healed, people being delivered from demonic possession. So here, what is Zacchaeus dealing with? The person that you might be praying for is probably feeling empty. If they're coming to a point where they're not satisfied with whatever it is that their, their lifestyle, the sin that they're dealing with, and they're at a point where maybe they're much like Zacchaeus. They're hearing and seeing things that are going on in the church, maybe in your life as they look at your, the way your family is. Whatever the case might be, Zacchaeus' attention, he's, he's curious and he's interested. Look at uh, verse 3, Luke 19, verse 3. It says here, specifically, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And was unable, unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So apparently, Zacchaeus is a very short man. He's a very short, but very rich man. Very high status, if you will, among the people, although he was despised. So here he is already beginning to change. This guy who's small in stature, maybe he had a complex being such a small guy because he couldn't see over the crowd. Rich, despised, rejected, um, and short, maybe he had some kind of a complex. But Zacchaeus is changing. But he wants to know more about this Jesus. And we can think back to ourselves when we wanted to know more about Jesus, right? We think of those days and how you gradually maybe listened to Christian radio or listened to a sermon or listened to someone share the gospel. It says he was trying to see, and that's key. Zeteo is the Greek word. And it means to seek after, to strive after, and this is all important. The fact that he's trying to see who Jesus is, whether to criticize him, whether to talk to him, to know him, to see if it's real, to get a glimpse of who is this guy that everybody's talking about that everyone's lined up to see and I can't get a glimpse. But he was unable to see him, but he's trying. In the English Standard Version, it's, it's, he was seeking to see he was seeking to see Jesus. And in the Greek, the imperfect, the tenses are that he repeatedly 
was seeking to see Jesus. He was continually trying. It wasn't just a thought. It was, he was after it. He wanted to eagerly see Jesus. He was seeking. Now, you know, um, like I said, you could be on the verge of, of, of surrender. People that you're praying for could be on the verge of surrender. I think back to the time, Carol and I, when we were, uh, we weren't believers at the time. We were married, and uh, we were married, I don't know how many years. We didn't have children yet. And uh, your brother was sharing the gospel with us. Remember, he had that Bible study. And it was, uh, so Carol and I were seeking the Lord. I was uh, pretty bad, but I was, you know, so I was pretty bad. Carol was pretty good, but still seeking God, not saved. And so my brother-in-law was sharing the gospel with us. And, you know, I remember we were on the verge of surrender. He was explaining the gospel. He was kind of counting the cost for us. And as we're sitting there, Carol is counting the cost. And if anyone knows Carol, she is a crazy party animal. No, just kidding. She was not a crazy party animal. Carol, she's the sweetest girl I knew. That's why I married her. And, but she asked the question. She was like, he was explaining, you know, and, and you, you turn your life to the Lord, and you, 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 know, you follow the Lord, and, and on and on, salvation and what have you. And so Carol is kind of in a way like, Carol is like, okay, let me get this straight. Let me try to understand this. Now, understanding Carol's not a smoker. She's not a drinker. But she says, so what you're saying here is, if I were to accept the Lord, uh, will I not be allowed to do these things if I chose to later in life? So Carol is counting the cost. And it was the, it's the funniest thing because that's not Carol. But you could see the heart of counting the cost like, what am I giving up? And Carol explained, and Carol has said this publicly, and that's why I'm sharing it. I even asked her, is it okay if I share this? Because it was kind of sweet coming from Carol. But she wanted to know if what she didn't want, she wanted to know what the trade-off was, what she was giving up. Maybe she would find interest in these things. And she wanted to know where she stood in counting the cost. So long story short, we, of course, became believers, but not that day. Because we both hesitated. We both were counting the cost and didn't like the way it added up. We weren't ready, but we were seeking. Now here you have Zacchaeus who is seeking, and it says, it goes on and say in, in verse four. Look at verse four, it says, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. There it is again. Jesus is about to pass through that way. And Zacchaeus is interested. He runs up ahead. And he is, here we have Zacchaeus making an effort. Now, he's making an effort. And when someone is making an effort, uh, he runs ahead. He's climbing a tree. The person that you might be praying for, they may not be saved. And they might mock you, mock Christ, or what have you. But if they're, you see that they're interested and making some sort of effort, maybe even just deciding to be in the same room with you, is that we do everything to help them. If they are figuratively trying to climb a tree just to get an answer or something, then we should help them. We should assist them. You know, I, re I do recall, again, Carol's brother, who was an incredible mentor to me, uh, that when we weren't saved, and there would be gatherings, and I've shared this before, and I wouldn't want to be there. I wouldn't want to be in the same room with him because he was a Christian. And the conviction was too much for me to be around him. 
but he never made me uncomfortable by anything he said or the way he treated me or acted. He was wonderful to me, accepting. And when we would be at uh, uh, gatherings, um, he was the nicest guy around. And it always turned out where I, knowing that he was a Christian, by the end of the, end of the night, I was asking him questions about the Bible because I was curious. I was like a Zacchaeus, and he was there and helping and giving me answers. And so we need to recognize this in people when they are seeking, when they are making an effort. So here we have this chief tax collector. He's an, he's an older guy, and he's running and climbing. And as you know in Scripture, it was, it was, um, it was what? It was like um, undignified for an older man to be running, let alone climbing a tree like a kid. And he's small, but so he had to, and he does. So here we have him running ahead of the crowd because he's committed to getting a glimpse of Jesus. And so he runs ahead, he climbs, and he goes into a tree. We know he does that because he wants to see. The question is, was he hiding as well? Because he's a small guy, he's old, and he's running, you know, and all the people are seeing this. Does he want to be seen as this old guy in a tree looking for Jesus? What's key here is it says, for he was about to pass through that way. Jesus is on the way to death. He's, about, he's on his way to make his triumphal entry and enter into the city and be put to death. But Jesus is passing through and he takes the time for this person, this person who is despised. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, look at this verse. It says, um, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This word seek, which is darash, it means to inquire, to ask, to resort to. And we see something happening here. Zacchaeus is seeking Christ. He's making an effort because Jesus is passing through. Jesus isn't going to go and set up camp. He's passing through. In other words, there's opportunity being presented for Zacchaeus. There's an opportunity for him to make a decision, and he has, and that decision is to seek Christ. And the scriptures say uh, that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. In John 16, 8, it says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. You see, these people that don't know Christ right now that you might be praying for, or you might be listening is that there is a time when the Lord makes himself available. That means someone shares the gospel with you. You picked up a track at the store and you, or you found it on the table and you're reading it and there's an opportunity. Jesus is passing through. What are you going to do? What are we going to do to help that person that is seeking the Lord? We need to be that opportunity. Being that opportunity and sharing the gospel. Being an example living our lives as Christians as examples. It continues in Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So while that opportunity is there, we want to see these people to take advantage of it while the time is there. To call upon the Lord means to call out, to cry out. It means to proclaim. And of course, to forsake, azab, means to depart from, abandon, to let go. 
You see, Zacchaeus is given an opportunity. He sees it and he's going for it. He's responding to this, to this degree so far. Look at verse 5, 19.5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, he called him by name, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. You see, people knew who Jesus was. They knew his name. They knew he was coming. They knew what he, where he was. They knew of the miracles that were being, taking place. And here you have Zacchaeus, the, the local uh, chief tax collector. And Jesus knows his name. Jesus knows him. And so Jesus calls him. He looks up and he calls him by name. So if Zacchaeus was hiding, so much for that, right? If this little guy, this little old man who's undignified in a tree looking for Christ, Jesus is walking and how the scene is, we may find out when we get to heaven, but it's as if he's walking and Jesus looks up and sees the seeker. He sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus. And I can imagine the crowd saying, who's he talking to? And they all look at him. Now there's hurdles. There's spiritual challenges for Zacchaeus. Because let's say he is hiding and he's looking. There he is. And he says, Zacchaeus. And he's like, everybody's, all the eyes are on him. Is he, does he become embarrassed, filled with shame, anger, what have you? Well, let's follow on. It says, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. The crowd is turned around. They're looking at him perched in a tree. I wonder if Jesus thought like, I mean, did Jesus laugh? Maybe Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, and I know this is going to be tough on you. I know you're seeking me. And now I really want to know how much you're seeking me. And I'm going to call you out in front of all these people. And so he calls him out. It says, Jesus came to that place. For those that are maybe listening and thinking, am I savable? Can I be saved? The things that I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I'm doing, can I even be saved? You might think that you're small in stature, spiritually, let's say. Nobody. But Jesus is there. He looks. He knows your name. He knows our name. He knows the things that we in this room might be dealing with and that we need to change. He knows. He sees you. He sees that person that's perched in the tree. He sees the person that is seeking behind the scenes. He knows when we're seeking him. So Jesus looks up and the scene must be incredible because he, he's got to look up. I'm sure they made eye contact. He calls them by name. And then he speaks with an urgency, a compassion, a desire to hang out with him. Jesus wants to hang out with us. Jesus wants to spend time with us. It says here, you must, you must, I must stay at your house. In other words, Zacchaeus, you and I, we need to hang out today. Hurry up. Hurry and come down right now. Not tomorrow. I don't want you to think about it. And this isn't something to pray about. This is now. I want right now to spend time with you. And so here we have the invitation. And you know what's interesting is it's the only recorded 
time where Jesus invites himself to someone's home. And so, you know, I thought, wow, that's, I guess so. This is the only time Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house. We're having dinner at your place. He invites himself. Jesus does invite himself to our hearts, to our lives, in our lives, in our surroundings, in our circles, in our homes. But you know, I, it made me think of, when I was realizing this, Revelation 3.20. It says this, behold, or in other words, check this out. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine, and I will dine with him and he with me. There's that invite of the Lord, that continual, perpetual invitation. He wants none to perish. He's knocking at the door of our hearts. He's inviting himself, if you will. And if we open the door, he will dine with us. Zacchaeus opens that door. Zacchaeus responds. Jesus wants to spend time with him. Look at verse 6. Look at his response to that invitation. It says, and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. So is he embarrassed? Maybe. Is he feel dumb? <laughs> Maybe. Does he feel undignified? Maybe. But he's also happy. So even in, with all the people looking at him who don't like him anyway, they don't like him anyway. So he sees Jesus is interested and that's all that matters. And he hurried and came down. That response of Zacchaeus is, is beautiful. It's incredible. The response here physically, if you will, begins. Um, remember, everyone's watching this. They're all seeing this. Okay, so he hurried. This word hurried, spudo, it means to make haste, to, to waste no time with a desire, an earnest desire. It probably was pretty funny on how he came down, how quickly he came down for an old guy who shouldn't be climbing trees anyway. And he, so he hurries down, but with a, a desire. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't think about it. It just says in the Greek that he hurried down. He did exactly. He was called and he responded. It says that he received him gladly. Received is hupodekamai. Hupodekamai means to accept a guest, not to refuse. It means to eagerly welcome, of course, but to grant access. That's major right there. He's granting access. He's allowing Jesus into his home. He is responding and he's with, with uh, gladly with a uh, hero, which is to rejoice. Zacchaeus is excited. He's gladly responding to the invite. And you know, the invite, whether you're speaking to someone you love or you're trying to live a certain way in front of someone you love and you want them to see, see them saved, that invite has to be welcoming. It has to be personal. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you and I, man, right now, today, we must hang out. If there's someone in your life that is really far gone and you keep distance because you just can't, you're just turned off by whatever it is that they're dealing with, is remember that they need salvation. And they need you, us, to be able to say, hey, you know what, why don't you and I hang out? Why don't you and I, let's spend time together. And spending time with us should be like spending time with the Lord because we are, or we should be all about the Lord. So 
He responds gladly. Uh, he's, he's, yes, let's go, my place. So here we have the scene with the guy who's hated. He's exposed in the tree. He's embarrassed, whatever. The crowd may even be laughing. I do know that they weren't, some of them weren't laughing. Some of them were angry with who Jesus is talking to. Jesus knows his name, and they're going to have a gathering at his place. This change is continuing in the heart of Zacchaeus. Look at uh, verse 7. It says, when they saw it, they saw it. They all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. We despise that guy. He rips us off. He works for Rome. His allegiance is with Rome, not for his people. And this Jesus, who we've heard so much about, he's going to go spend time with this no good, this low-down guy. So here we have the people beginning to grumble, complain. They were murmuring. We could always count on that, right? We could always count on either the pharisaical, uh, even maybe believers. Even the believer that's saying like, oh, yeah, so now he wants to go to church. Oh, now he wants me to pray for him. But he was mocking me the other day. And not getting in our understanding that this person needs Christ. And deep down, when we were lost, we knew, as we knew more about Christ, we knew we needed him, and we started realizing how we're in trouble, how we're hellbound, how Jesus can forgive me, and all this is taking place. The last thing we need to do is be some kind of a spiritual hurdle for somebody. So there's the pharisaical, the mockers, the sinners. Psalm 1 talks about that, about staying away from the, the, the mocker, the, uh, staying out of the, the path of sinners. But to, to draw near to, to the Lord, to meditate on his word. We have to get away from the hurdles. If you, there's changes in your life that you know you need to do right now as a believer. And there's somebody that is keeping you from making those changes. That spiritual hurdle has to be removed from your life to one degree or another. Whether it's, that's your social circle, whether that's your best buddy that you confide in, has decent uh, counsel half the time, whatever it is, if they are not, if they're keeping you from change, you need to change friends. You need to make a change there. So we have to stay away from these spiritual hurdles. Has anybody ever ran track? Anybody ever run hurdles? Has anyone ever taken a spill over a hurdle? I never ran hurdles, but I tried and I took a spill and it's the worst thing. It is the worst thing getting caught up in, on the floor and on the gravel and all that on a spiritual hurdle. But you know what? We have to watch out that just like the person, if you've ever tried it, um, go try it. Try jumping a hurdle. Start small. And it, when you take a fall, that's the last thing you want. Spiritually speaking, we need to avoid this because tripping over a hurdle physically is, is, is horrible and spiritually even worse. Luke 15, 1, speaking of the pharisaical people grumbling and complaining, 15, verse 1, it says this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. These guys were listening. They wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to know more. Like Zacchaeus moments. They wanted to seek him. It says in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
He, so he told them this parable saying, and then in Luke 15, the lost chapter, he begins with the, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, the prodigal son, the lost son. And so we see the, uh, the lost son, the lost coin, lost sheep, Jesus' heart for the lost. When someone is grumbling, complaining, when they're a spiritual hurdle to you, he's concerned about your salvation. We need to be, have the heart set of Christ and be concerned for the lost and not be anything close to someone who's grumbling, complaining. When we see the tax collectors or the sinners, if you will, coming near to him. It says in verse 7, saying, he has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now that he has gone uh, phrase in the Greek, e-circomai, e-circomai means to go out or to enter. In other words, to leave and go in, come in, go out. So he went into their home. So it, it's uh, implying a time lapse. He's spending time with Christ, away from all the grumbling, away from all the mockers and doubters. He is with Christ. And for the person that is considering Christ, you need to seek Christ without the distractions. If you're looking to change things in your life right now as a believer, you need to seek Christ without those distractions. I often pray when we, uh, before service on Sundays, is asking the Lord to remove the distractions so that we can be here from the word. The Holy Spirit can move in our hearts. Because those distractions will keep us from maybe hearing what Pastor Joe has been studying on, what the Lord might have for you. Those spiritual hurdles, if you will, we want to keep them out of our, uh, out of our, our lives and, and out of the way so they don't mess with us. So here he has gone, to go out, to enter. They have time together. How much time, we don't know. We don't know what was said. We don't know what Jesus shared with him. Um, that'll be one of the questions we all probably want to ask. Tell me about that conversation you and Zacchaeus had. What was said? What convinced him? How much was he on the, on the fence? As all these things we'll find out. But so imagine that door is closed. Look at these guys. He's going with that despised guy, and that guy is going with Jesus. Called him by name. Do they know each other? He called him by name, and they go in, and time is spent with Christ. And something happens. Now imagine, they go in, the door's closed, then the door opens and something looks different. Something has changed. Look at verse 8. There was some genuine, life-changing surrender that took place. It says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, there it is again, check this out. So he says, Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, You know, Lord, check this out. Half of my possessions... I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. This is a changed man. He received the, the invite, he responded, and he surrendered, and he is changed, and he is a believer. He is now a follower of Christ. His life is changed, and now he is a Christian. A little Christ, if you will. He's a follower of Christ. It says that he stopped and said, he stopped, meaning, it doesn't mean like he just stopped, or whatever. it means he like took a stand, or he may have physically stood up, because he may have been eating and kind of sit or lay a little on the ground. He may have stood up, 
but it means that he took a stand. Histemi. Histemi is the word in the Greek. And it means to stand or to make firm. Zacchaeus took a stand. And he said, you know what? I'm making a decision for Christ. I'm making a change in my life. And he stopped or he stood up or he took a stand and he said, I, of half of my position, this is a rich chief tax collector saying, I will give half of my, my money. So we, we know they're driven by greed and now he's giving half away. That's a changed heart. That's a changed man. So whether, whatever took place, in, in um, Romans chapter 12, we see the word uh, of to be um, renewed or, or transformed. Uh, meta, the metamorphosis is where we get that word. We see that taking place with Zacchaeus. He is giving away money to the poor. It says in Psalm 41, the latter part of that verse, it says, um, blessed is he who considers the poor. Blessed is he who considers the poor. And now that's the new Zacchaeus a heart for the poor. A while ago, he, was, he had a heart for money and to rip off the people. It says that he, if he, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now that word here is suko fanteo, and it means to accuse wrongfully or to extort, and that's of course what he did. And this is key right here, because um, as far as... Um, if anything, I'll give back four times. In the, in, the, in the Mosaic law, there were laws of how much you would restore someone if you've done, defrauded them or ripped them off. And he's meeting that. He's being biblical. He's being obedient to the scriptures, to the law, to, to refund or to pay back four times as much. But he's going far beyond just that. He's not just sticking to the law and doing what he's, he knows he has to do based on the law. He's giving half of his money to the poor. We see evidence of a changed man doing something that he wouldn't normally do, acting out a different way, defrauded. So he wants to make right all the wrongs. And this is where Jesus changes our lives, but it doesn't stop there. It shouldn't stop with me. With your salvation, it shouldn't stop with you. It carries on with those around you that you're connected with. Your spouse, your friends, your employer, strangers. You are now changed. You are different. You act differently. Here, he wants to right wrongs. In Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see that what's taking place is making right wrongs from the past. When we become saved, when we become believers, we want to make right what we did wrong. There's a lot that should be going on in the church when someone gets saved is along with discipleship is helping them now with what they've maybe destroyed, the relationship with their friends, children, spouses, helping them back to re reconcile and, and restore those things. And this is the heart of a, a believer here. This is the heart of Zacchaeus. He is saved. He's repented. He's changed. He's being obedient to the scriptures. So he has a new heart 
And with a new heart, we have new actions, different actions, opposite, because there's repentance, there's a change. And he's, he's, he reversed everything. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. I'm sorry, not verse 8. Um, so along with changing his ways and making right all those wrongs, it says in Luke 3, verse 8, Therefore bear fruit, fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. In James 1.21 and 22 it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive them with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Zacchaeus is a doer. He's making right all the wrongs. His salvation is getting him into heaven but beyond that, he's going to make right with those that he's wronged. And so that is, is key. And, and let me mention this, and I'll be very brief on this part, but it's important because, after all, I was referring to this change and how it affects those around us. In verse 9, it says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, son of Abraham, he's Jewish, but he's speaking spiritually, not naturally. He is now a believer. He, is a, a, he has salvation now. And so here it says, salvation has come to this house. That's key. That's important. Why? Because in this household, whatever his household consisted, maybe a wife, 10 kids, I don't know, maybe family that lived with him, whatever the case is, Jesus was allowed to go into that home. Jesus was allowed to be in that place. Jesus changed Zacchaeus, and salvation has now come to that home. Now, what could be, it doesn't mean that now that house is saved. Now everybody's going to be saved, or everyone is saved. But it means that there is now opportunity for further salvation in that home. So, for example, Acts eleven fourteen. understand this about the, the important, the impact, the, the, the results, the 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 effects of your salvation in your home is your household can be saved. Acts eleven fourteen says this. Um, it says, um, Cornelius is told by an angel, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And so we learn later that, uh, in other words, Peter was allowed to, to speak. They were able to hear Peter speak. And people got saved because it was allowed in that home. In Acts 16.31, we see Paul and Silas saying this to the, to the, with the Philippian jailer. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It isn't a promise that now that you're saved, now your house is going to be saved. But there's that opportunity. You see the importance of us being believers in our homes? Whether your children are following the Lord or not, you're a believer and there can be an effect that takes place. In the workplace, at home, wherever it is, at you, your circles, there is possibility. So that's what's being said here. That's what's taking place. Is when, what took place here is Paul and Silas were able to share. They went to the, the jailer's home and they were able to share the gospel to the household. And they got saved. 
It's not a promise that they're gonna be saved, but there's opportunity. So your salvation, it doesn't just end with you. It creates the possibility of people understanding Christ and turning their lives to Christ. It's sort of like this, the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 22.6, that principle of train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't mean that you've trained them up in the Lord and now they're going to be saved, a promise, a guarantee. It's the fact that principle that you've given them the word, you've given them understanding, knowledge of the scriptures, and they might be a believer and, and time goes on and wherever they drift off, but they have that. The word of God will not depart from them. And every decision they make in life, whether to do that wrong thing or that right thing, what you instilled in them will not depart and they'll be making a conscious decision to sin or not to sin. So there's that principle there and the importance of our salvation in our households. Same thing with 1 Corinthians 7. We see that with the husband and wife situation. And the scriptures say this in verse 13. If, if any woman has a, has a husband who is unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. In verse 16 it says, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You are being there, maybe saving, giving that person understanding, and then seeing them turn their life over to the Lord. The same principle is in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Our salvation doesn't end with us. There's work to be done. Ministers of reconciliation and being an example and, and giving people an opportunity by sharing the gospel, living out the gospel, and seeing people saved. So let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, and it ends beautifully. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that come to seek is that same word, zeteo, that we see with Zacchaeus when he was trying to see. He was continually trying to see Jesus. Here it says the Son of Man, Jesus, is zeteo, continually seeking after, striving after us, the lost. And again, that Greek imperfect tense means that he repeatedly, repeatedly seeks to save. So the Lord continues to draw people to himself. And so we have Zacchaeus, Zeteo, seeking the Lord, trying to get a glimpse, and all the while, Jesus seeking him. So that brings me to this, to be reconciled with God. Yeah, it takes both parties. And the Lord desires none to be done to perish and the other party is us to desire him to seek him in james 4 7 it says this submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you submit is a military word that has to do with falling in rank and to resist means to withstand or to take a stand like Zacchaeus did, he took a stand and said, I'm, I'm changing, I'm gonna make right, I'm gonna do right. We need to fall into rank with the Lord and take a stand against the enemy to resist him. And there's the beautiful part of this relationship 
of verse 8, James 4, 8. Draw near to God. That's Zacchaeus drawing near, getting to a tree, trying to catch a glimpse, receiving and hearing uh, Christ's invitation and receiving it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The Lord knows when we're drawing near to him and he's calling us, he's drawing us. Please cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, the beautiful picture here with Zacchaeus is this, is that we see the worst of the worst people, the despised, the broken, the ones that are sprinting to hell, maybe lonely, broken, and have a desire to catch a glimpse of whatever it is that you go to every Sunday, or the thing that you do with your children and, and before dinner and pray. Why? And they're hurting and they want some of that. We have to recognize that and not reject them. We need to love them. We need to recognize that and be helpful in, the, in their process. They might have 98% of everything you don't want anything to do with, but there's 2% there that will want to catch a glimpse. And we want to be there to give them a hand up so they can see Christ. And when the, on, on the other side of that coin is the Lord drawing them, desiring them, and saying, you must, I must spend time with you. He wants to see people saved. That's the heart set that we should have. Reading Zacchaeus, getting past, and if, if we could relate to them, and if we were in this time seeing this event and being part of the people and knowing Zacchaeus and how he's ripped us off, it would be a lot tougher. That's why I put it to the point of someone that you may know that has maybe done you wrong and is not a believer. They're broken and they're hurting and we need to do everything we can to be an example for them so that they can experience heaven, so they can have salvation as well, amen? So we need to keep this story in our hearts, understand that yes, anyone can be saved. They need to turn and change and have a, a metamorphosis, an internal change, as Romans 12 speaks of. So let's, uh, let's bow our hearts and, and seek the Lord. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the details of the events that take place, that took place in your word. We thank you, Lord, because it gl gives us a glimpse of your heart. <laughs> More than a glimpse. It, it shows us, Lord, that in our worst condition, you loved us. You desired us. You are drawing us to you. You use people to get our attention. And, and Lord, we surrendered. We turned to you. And Lord, I pray that we would daily understand and live this way, knowing that you saved us, that it took that surrender. And maybe it was a, a fight with pride, a fight with resistance, a, a month, a year, five years, 20 years. Lord, help us to have the heart set and remember where we were from and how we changed so that we would be compassionate to the lost, we would understand, we would have, our hearts would break for the lost, that we would desire for them to have salvation as much as you desire, Lord. And that only happens when we spend time with you to know your heart, to understand your heart, to adopt your heart and see through your lenses. Lord, I pray that you would help us remove the distractions, Lord, in the relationships that, that we might have difficulty with, Lord, and help us to love as you love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.